0: Numbers will be on your, oh, your
1: question. Hi, I'm Shelley Irwin. Thanks for joining us for ASTHA. And joining us tonight, we have the experts Roy Shaw, Meredith Miller. Dr. Michael Olgren, oh, all members of the medical field in their own respects. Let's see how these first responders respond to all of my questions in the special edition. So thanks, of course, for joining us tonight. All right, this is called the elevator pitch and how you spend your day and how you are an emergency responder. Let's start with you, Dr. Olgren. How do you spend your day?
2: Well, uh, when I come into my shift, I usually will take report from the physician ahead of me. They may have a couple of patients they haven't been able to finish up quite yet, and then once I've learned about those patients so I can finish up their care, I pick up the new patients that are inevitably waiting. And it's take care of whoever comes in, whether it's a child with a cold or
1: someone who's been struck by a vehicle. Yes, so you're hanging out in the emergency room.
2: Yes. St.
0: Mary's,
1: good institution. Meredith,
0: are you driving Hi. the ambulance? I do, <laughs> I do. So my day typically starts off, I pick up the ambulance and yeah. basically from that point on we respond to 9 emergencies and non-emergent calls for the duration of our shifts. Right. Roy Shaw, Bertie tells me you're retired.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I still keep my license current and all my continuing ed. Um, it's great being a paramedic. I actually worked with Meredith at AMR for a good amount of time and Now I'm focusing more on uh, preventative education, obviously through basic life support, first aid, advanced cardiac life support education through e-learning, but I guess the most exciting part of my job is actually responding to people's questions through a video blog that I do and where they can ask me and we can take some time to kind of armchair paramedic, what would you do to prevent it, what would you do to react to it? and how could we make sure that the victim maybe has another day tomorrow to live. So Mm -hmm. that's how I spend most of my days as well as being part of the team over at Pro Trainings.
0: Yes, what's the role of a paramedic? Well, we respond to someone's home, to a scene. Our responsibility is to stabilize and to transport or intervene the best we can and to transport them as safe as we can to an emergency room department so they can be further treated and evaluated. Dr. Olgren,
1: who makes up your team? I trust uh, the paramedic is part of your team.
2: They are part of the larger team. We have uh, in the emergency department, I work at St. Mary's, we have 15 physicians, 12 mid-level providers and then a staff of nurses and technicians, x-ray, the lab department, all Mm -hmm. come together to provide the best care we can to the patient.
1: And you're there, 100 uh, percent, giving 110 percent at three in the morning, as you would be at uh, at high noon.
2: That's correct. Uh, we have to be ready at all times for anything that walks through the door. Uh, it isn't always like the TV shows, where we're sending everybody up to the operating room. But uh, you never know what's going to come in next, and, and you don't know what time it's going to be. Two in the morning might be totally calm, or it could be chaos with well controlled chaos.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: ProTrainings.com, what's that all about?
3: It's about actually teaching people before it happens. And um, I really liked the comment earlier about prevention being vitally important. And you know, I've always joked around with people when they'd say, how do I survive cardiac arrest? And obviously basic life support CPR is a huge part of that once cardiac arrest has happened. But one thing that we like to say is how can we prevent it from happening? The best way to survive cardiac arrest is to never have one. And so. How can we continue the wellness, how can we be active, eat correctly, but then what do we do? Because we find in in pre-hospital medicine as well as in hospital ER that it's everything that happened from the moment the person's heart stopped and they weren't circulating oxygenated blood till the moment we can begin to provide some form of recirculation of partial oxygenation that may open that window of opportunity, not guarantee survival, but at least keep somewhat of a viable patient viable so that we hope to get them to the hospital through the paramedics on the ambulance, uh, continuing that stability, continuing that resuscitation or treatment until they get into the arms of the doctors and the nurses in-house where they can stabilize further and then Mm -hmm. fix the problem definitively and hope for a new tomorrow with that patient.
1: Hence all the communication that you have to do. Mayor, there's somebody standing next to me, they have a heart, they are giving me signs that they have a heart attack, they drop. What are my responsibilities?
0: Well, as a bystander, our goal is to have you dial 911 as quickly as you can to activate the system to get the fire department to arrive as quickly as possible. Some uh, institutions have AEDs Mm -hmm. Maybe people around will know where one is located. Obviously, electrical power to the heart is is the best. However, in the event that an AED isn't available, a bystander just doing compressions on the chest is is proving to be pretty successful. Again, not guaranteeing a return of circulation, but at least helping that patient have that potential of a return of circulation. So when we do arrive, we can intervene on a, a more advanced level. But doing just chest compressions and forgoing the Mm mouth-to-mouth is is very uh, crucial for patient survival or attempting to survive. So those are continuous chest compressions. Just press hard, Mm fast and hard, and deep. And that's just what we really would like the public to just do if they see or witness someone collapsing into a cardiac arrest. Mm
1: -hmm. How important is it to, Dr. Olgren, to stop bleeding in, in an emergency situation?
2: Well... You do want to stop it. Um, it, it. We don't really recommend tourniquets these days, like mm-hmm. the old days, mostly direct pressure with whatever you have. If you have a clean gauze, great. If not, use a shirt, use a use your hand if you have mm-hmm. to, you want to be careful afterwards to wash up. But um, if you've got someone with large amount of bleeding, that's the thing to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about first aid. I'll turn to you first, uh, Roy. Do we all need a first aid kit in our um, in our hands?
3: I think it's a great idea to have a first aid kit. I'm not sure everybody needs the 105-piecer, if you get what I'm saying. I mean, there's a lot of different first aid kits. Safety
1: clip, safety pin's coming along. You never know when you
3: might need a safety clip. <laughs> you never know when you pop a button, right? And that's first aid as well. But um, I've always said, sometimes we, um, we just forego getting that 105-piece because it has 90% of the stuff you'll hardly ever use and about 2% of what you really could use. One could go Mm -hmm. to the local dollar store for most part and get enough 4x4 5x9 bandages, some gauze, that's for the control of bleeding obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Latex and especially non-latex for those who have allergies. Vinyl gloves and nitrile gloves are very abundant nowadays at Mm -hmm. almost every pharmacy or even dollar store that you come up to. Um, Mm -hmm. So usually gloves, gauze, and a one-way valve for a CPR shield unless they're going to do just continuous compression only CPR, which is absolutely great, I mean, especially compared to Mm -hmm. nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, At least we're compressing the heart and getting some level of circulation. So they don't have to have that CPR shield nowadays to do benefit. They need to understand that that data is pretty clear. At least in the first six to eight minutes, we're still doing a great deal of good for the patient until EMS providers can come with the right equipment. You want
1: those compressions with uh, infants through uh, the 90-year-old?
3: Yeah, if you've got infants, there's a little bit of a difference in how Mm -hmm. those might be delivered. Um, Usually Mm -hmm. you use two fingers Mm -hmm. or the thumbs. I'm getting a little technical when it comes to healthcare provider level CPR certification versus general lay public education. We're just talking about fast Mm -hmm. compressions greater than 100 a minute If you're talking about infants and children, we want to go at least a third of the depth. Let's get out of the inches. Nobody has a tape measure with them. Let's go at least deep, maybe a third or greater of the chest. And then with an adult, we're doing the same thing, deep, Mm -hmm. fast, and hard.
1: Great. Mm -hmm. Ready to talk uh, ambulance etiquette? (laughs) All right, I'm driving on the highway. I hear the sound of an ambulance or a fire
0: truck. Mm -hmm. What do I do? We don't want you to panic, we don't Mm -hmm. want you to slam on the brakes, we don't want you to cross over the center line, we would just like you to signal, slow down, and just pull to the right and allow the police, fire, ambulances to pass safely. And when we do, then just slowly merge back into traffic, being cautious that the people behind you may not be paying attention, and when we do come into uh, an intersection, we're to stop looking clear Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean everybody else is so to be cautious Mm -hmm. if you hear sirens be be vigilant about where it could possibly coming from and just just slow down and pull to the right that's the safest method for
1: the public but you are required to slow down we always worry about you you being too quick but you're required to slow down absolutely absolutely we
0: we definitely take safety as number one driving lights and sirens because there's so much risk involved with driving we're going faster than the speed limit, mm-hmm. just, you know, roughly a little bit over, about 10 miles over the speed limit, but we have to get to the scene quickly and safely, but to do that, we have to get the public to move out of our way yeah. by stopping and pulling to the right. Yeah.
1: Dr. Olgren, let's uh, open up a can of worms. Uh, you see everything, as you mentioned, from the, the common cold to the, the, the major trauma. Let's talk prevention. Are there, some, you know, two or three big-time do this and maybe I won't ever see you in the emergency room. Take it away.
2: Well there are so many areas where we can do better as a public yes. with prevention. Right now for example when you're going out into a uh, woodsy area, wear DEET to prevent mosquito bites. Um, there's some West Nile virus going around right now and to prevent that you're gonna use the bug spray if you're gonna be outside. Um, you know wearing sunscreen when you're outside in the summer to prevent mm-hmm. sunburn uh washing your hands that's something all of us need to do healthcare providers are learning that lesson as well um, wash your hands and let me stop you there elbow
1: because uh we're spreading things we can't see is that right. correct yeah
2: right the germs are small you can't see them you don't know they're there and so any time you have contact you're not mm-hmm. sure about just wash your hands i wash my hands before and after every patient i see
1: Great. Put a pause on that. We're going to take a quick break, show you what's coming up next week. Right now, ask the emergency responder. were you a boy scout? Well, we're going to ask the scoutmaster so stay tuned for that. Right now the emergency responders responding to my questions. Alright, so uh, there's some common sense uh, venue. Um, I trust if you're a biker, wear a helmet?
2: Absolutely. Whether that's a motorcycle or a regular bicycle, uh, skateboard, windboard, uh, anywhere where you, your head might be in danger, Uh, We're finding more and more evidence about how concussions, even though you can survive a concussion, sometimes they add up and cause trouble down the road with the ability to learn and so forth.
1: Because, boom, your head's hitting that pavement. That brain isn't tied in that tightly with the dural sheath. You're moving around. It, It
2: definitely bounces around, and we've seen, over the years, many head injuries from people who weren't wearing helmets, whether on a bicycle or a motorcycle. And we definitely want to protect the brain.
1: Yep.
0: How important is it to wear a seat belt? I know it's legal, but uh... it's very important. It can save your life if you're hitting something or something hits you. It just it protects you in the vehicle to have it on. It's a means to protect you in the seat and to, if the the crash is so violent to keep you within the vehicle. Mm-hmm. They're built. The cars are built to. Uh, keep you safe in the uh, the compartment. Right. We don't want people to be ejected, so it saves people from being ejected from the vehicles if they're wearing their seat belts.
1: Hmm. Let's stay on the uh, the topic of a, a motor vehicle accident. Uh, wear your seat belt. Speed. You hear that speed is obviously a... You also hear that cars cross the median line a lot. Why does that happen?
0: Not to There's get... a lot of distractions in the vehicles between yeah. the radios, the cell phones, mm-hmm. text messaging which is obviously not Mm -hmm. legal, but there's just so many distractions, and the drivers, I don't think, are putting driving as number one when they get behind the wheel. And I think it's putting a lot of the community at risk when they're picking up their cell phone and using it while they're driving. Mm. And the jaws of life, what are these? That's a tool that the fire department will use if somebody's entrapped in their vehicle that's been severely damaged in the crash, and it just helps pop doors, spread the... Spread the door so we can get the patients out, yeah
1: Roy. Um, I understand we can learn CPR first aid online
0: absolutely yeah. you know we and who should and
1: who should be learning this?
3: Everybody should be learning yeah. um, mm-hmm. as soon as they can understand. We have mm-hmm. records of children doing really great CPR on mm-hmm. on their parents or on their grandparents before we arrive and it making a difference so. Yeah, there's some size differences there that might affect that, but at least they're trying and they're going to feel better knowing that they tried to do something. Mm -hmm. One of the messages that I try to get out most of all is to think more about possible emergencies before they happen. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we just don't pre-plan, whether that's getting out of the house before a fire, whether that's going and getting a ladder and having it nearby the frozen pond when you're ice skating Mm -hmm. so that you can extend something out to them to draw them in if they break through the ice all the way through to carbon monoxide testers. Um, You know, uh, if somebody's starting to have angina, which is chest pain that's um, vague in nature, it comes, it goes maybe, Um, but they can still function. All of these things are telltale signs that we should be thinking about. What would I do if these things happened? Because in most cases, the biggest enemy we have is that people don't do anything. It happens, they freeze from panic or fear or anxiety and then there's a long delay before they activate EMS, before they start first care, and, and basically by activating EMS, they even if they don't know what to do because they didn't go online to get even the basic awareness level education that's free um, through watching CPR and first aid videos, um, they can be talked through it with the help of dispatchers who are trained and qualified to do, to do that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, they can bring a lot of peace to that family. And, um, I guess the other part is understanding that when they try something, they can't make it worse. They cannot make it worse. They can only make it better unless they're violently trying to do something wrong. So fearing that if they get involved with a loved one or even a stranger and they're going to get sued, which we have a good Samaritan Act to protect them from that, um, that they're going to hurt the person, they, you can't hurt a dead person, you can only make them better, um, that they're going to catch a disease, Well, now we can do a lot of things without ever coming in contact with blood and body fluids to Mm -hmm. help. Um, None of that should get in the way of them caring enough to call and then doing what they can do. But preparation, Mm -hmm. training ahead of time is going to be the key to that success. Mm -hmm.
1: You witness an accident, uh, obviously we're all calling 9-11, what's the other responsibility Dr. Olgren, of, of, you know, say there is a car that starts to burn or someone is uh, yelling for help inside the car, what, what's, what's the action item here?
2: Well, every person needs to make their own judgment about what they're capable of doing. Uh, for someone who's had training, mm-hmm. um, they may feel more comfortable about potentially trying to remove someone uh... from a burning vehicle but that that th- you don't want to put yourself in danger mm-hmm. a dead hero is not really any good to anybody mm-hmm. either so mm-hmm. definitely call nine one one first and then assess what your capabilities are if it's uh, a rollover car accident and you know maybe you can best help the scene by uh, parking your car to protect that vehicle from other oncoming com- vehicles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you can do that are not necessarily putting yourself at risk uh, in that kind of a situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Meredith, is there constant communication once you get that signal from 9-11 that there's been a, a car accident? Are you co- in constant? I mean, What's happening in the ambulance as you're traveling to that accident?
0: Depends the severity of the accident, mm-hmm. sometimes the dispatchers are aware of how severe it is based on what the callers are saying to them. Uh, so we're mentally preparing what resources do we need to get, how many patients do we have, and we're trying to plan it out before we get on scene. So when we get on scene, the decisions in, or have started to be made. Uh, once we get on scene, we evaluate what the what the situation is. If we need to call the helicopter in or additional mm-hmm. ambulances, we go ahead and do so. If there's a lot of people involved, we'll alert the hospitals and inform them of the amount of patients and the severity so that they can get prepared long before we are even ready to leave. How do you determine which hospital to go to? A lot of times it's patient preference or depending on the problem that the person may have. Some hospitals have facilities that others do not, so we would have to go to that facility Mm -hmm. where they would be best treated. Also we go by closest most appropriate to mm-hmm. the what to the hospital. Yeah. Doctor Olgren, you brought this up in the beginning.
1: You might see a, a, a bad cold come through the emergency department. You might obviously see the worst case scenario. What what's your what's your education to us here?
2: Well, I mean everyone should use their judgment. I am not one of those that would discourage people from coming to the emergency department. I feel that If you don't know, you don't know. If you're concerned about yourself or a loved one, and you can't get in to see your primary care physician or a clinic, then you don't have a lot of choice. Um, You know, you you go again to the level of your training, and uh, first, if 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 it's not an emergent situation and you have a doctor to call, definitely call that doctor or their service, and they oftentimes will give you advice. They will listen to your problem and say, well, you know that? That sounds like it's more than what we can take care of you're gonna to have to go to the emergency department mm-hmm. so I know there's some people that speak out against you know people who shouldn't be in the emergency department but I I don't ever scold anyone for coming to the emergency department they're trying to do the best that they can for themselves or their loved ones
1: mm-hmm. you must be uh, up on this but are you prepared for worst-case scenarios in our area with any type of you know, we triage do, necessities, et cetera? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yes. We do extensive disaster preparedness. Uh, we have a committee that meets monthly. And we go over various scenarios, you know, if there were a tornado, if there were a uh, large bomb, mm-hmm. if there were a factory fire, all kinds of different situations uh, that could come up, and we prepare and we practice for them. Twice a year or more, we have drills where we'll have mock patients come in, Mm -hmm. oftentimes college students, uh, Mm -hmm. and we'll pretend how would we handle that uh, influx of volume.
1: Mm -hmm. Meredith, obviously you must have to have training drills and
0: our people are... We sometimes will participate with the hospitals. We also will do triage tag day so we can get comfortable Mm -hmm. using triage tags. What those are are, there's a major casualty there's a lot of people involved will tag people so that the res- other responders mm-hmm. know the severity of a patient and when they go through the system from the scene to the hospital they can stay categorized and again people can change their category um, mm-hmm. from critical to not not so severe but they are the tags are just a great nonverbal communication between responders so we practice with those as well as well as Doing mock drills at the, you know, mm-hmm. we do them at the airport. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we've done them at the Van Andel Arena right. before. Right, practice. right, That's
1: the reality. Yeah. Roy, uh, let's let's talk stroke. We haven't gone there yet, as far as uh, action items when we feel a loved one might be having symptoms of a, a stroke.
3: Sure. I think one of the greatest things is for people that are close to that individual, whether they're friends, family, or strangers, is being more aware of the signs and symptoms. So weakness. Stuttering, not being able to formulate their sentence structures. Um, strokes take on so many different um, signs and symptoms, it's unbelievable. They can be extremely minor. Um, they can be just, a uh, you know, everything from just kind of not feeling right um, all the way through to literally going unconscious. And it can depend on whether it's a blood clot or a plaque clot or some other type of emboli um, all the way through to a bleed or something like a, a hemorrhage or, you know, an an aneurysm what we do though is oftentimes tell the community it doesn't really matter that you can't diagnose what it is or how severe it is you know something's going on so as doctor was saying don't hesitate activate ems Mm -hmm. you can always have them get there and say you know this wasn't quite what we thought it was i think it's safe they seem Mm -hmm. stable Um, i understand you were scared go ahead and drive them to your to the er we think that's okay or the, the, the ambulance will do that for them so they have a backup, but you can never speed the ambulance back up again. And we find out now, when it comes to reperfusion with stroke studies, that the faster we can get that stroke patient in, get that embolus clear, if it's truly an embolus type stroke, um, the faster the recovery, the less damage that can occur. So we're treating it much more like we did the aggressive heart attacks now. So we want to recognize early, we want to get them in to get them treated early, and as I always say too, don't do it yourself. The ambulance gets you straight into where you mm-hmm. need to go. Um, we can ask permission to go through red lights and go around traffic jams. You can't do that in a car. And you don't know where the roads are blocked. We do in the ambulances have that privy mm-hmm. to us. Wow. What roads are closed? Where do we need to go for an alternative route? So let's stop driving those people in ourselves unless the doctor or the paramedic says to. Um, and uh, get them in for treatment or at least review to make sure it's not something serious.
1: Mm, great. Just a couple minutes left, Meredith. What else do you need to share? What does the public need to know that's going to make your life easy?
0: I think a lot of people are real hesitant to call 911 when they're just not certain. A lot of times at 2 in the morning they don't want to wake us. Well, we're awake. <laughs> we're, we're there. We're ready for it. And even if it's something that just might seem a little minor, to you, we want people to dial 911. We want, we would like to be there at their home or at their scene, um, helping them and just helping them process through what they're experiencing and to make the right decision for them. And we just really would like people to just to dial 911 mm-hmm. if they have any any doubt. Yes, Dr. Olgun?
2: Well, I just would re-emphasize the stroke. That's something that we do have something to treat people with now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh... got a new medicine kind of a clot buster if you will and other uh... interventions that can be done so again if you see a family member who uh, the most common thing is they're going to be weak on one side they'll drop things out of their hand or their face will droop on one side or they can't say words or they're slurring their speech those are the common signs there are others but if people recognize that and realize that's time-sensitive because we only have a few hours where we can give the medicine.
1: Yes. Find you at St. Mary's, yes? St. Mary's, yep. Not that I want to be your patient, oh. but uh, you know, that's where you'll
0: be. Where do we find you? I work for American Medical Response. Great, so
1: mm-hmm. thank you for what thank you, you do. Thank you. And how do we find out about Roy Shaw and his team?
3: Our training is free, everything from basic life support all the way through advanced life support. And uh, all of our basic life support, CPR and first aid is free. So visit us online at protrainings.com, and you can find any of our videos for free because we just can't put a price on
1: life. Great. Well, that's a good way to end. Thank you all for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for watching.